0: Today on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Feels
1: like injustice is ruling and it feels like life is out of control and what's God doing? Are you up there? Have you forgotten me? The resurrection's answer is no. You might feel like you're living in a Friday. You might feel like you're living in the darkness of a Friday or the tedium and boredom and loneliness of a Saturday. But What the resurrection shows you is that that Sunday is coming.
0: Welcome back to Summit Life, the Bible teaching ministry of pastor, author, and theologian JD Greer. As always, I'm your host, Molly Vitovich. If you're joining us today for the first time, you're jumping in at the tail end of a five week journey through the Gospel of Luke. So if this teaching is a blessing, be sure to go back and listen to the entire series on our website, jdgreer.com. As we close this series today, we are asking the important question Was the resurrection too good to be true? Because if we believe that Jesus defeated death, that should change everything, right? So if we do truly believe it, we know that we too will defeat death and live eternally through the power of His blood. So the real question is, do you actually believe it? So one last time, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 24 and join Pastor J.D. You know,
1: I did that 23 and me um, thing where you, my wife gave it to me for my birthday or Christmas or something like that. And um, it'll give you, one of the things it gives you is it analyzes your genetic makeup and it gives you all these percentages based on your gen- genetic makeup. So for example, I'm only 30% likely to lose my hair as I age. I'm 40% likely to have mid-digit hair, which is the hair between your knuckles, which I understand is a pretty rare trait. It's re- two recessive genes is what it requires and I've got it. Um, it told me that I was 73% likely, 73% likely to not have a fear of public speaking, which I thought it was affirming, right? Um, Other things that I found encouraging in this report, I have, it said, the genetic makeup of an elite power athlete. Just telling you what it says. Discouraging was that it said I had 40% more Neanderthal DNA than the average human. I don't even know what that means, but I feel like it can't be good. I've never seen a job application where we're looking for somebody with a lot of Neanderthal uh, in them. Um, Of all the different things, and there's like dozens and dozens of others kind of uh, predictions like that, the one prediction that's not in there, what it doesn't give you is the percentage of your probability of death. Because that's been holding steady for the last however long humanity's been here at 100%. It's coming for all of us. Right? The question's not if, it's when. And that death feels devastating to you. It feels permanent. It feels like you're losing stuff that you'll never get back. I don't want to be depressing this morning, but Some of you get a taste of that even as you age, right? You feel like you're losing stuff. You're never going to get back. I'll go ahead and tell you, okay? Things in my body are not improving. I do not get better looking and stronger and healthier every year. Things are getting worse, and that's depressing. I feel at the gym. Every year, i put in the same amount of effort, and the results I'm getting back are smaller and smaller. Same effort, less results. I will wake up sometimes sore now just from sleeping. I'm like, what did I do yet? Yeah, I didn't do anything. I just slept. So somehow going from this position to this position is enough to make me wall funny for the rest of the day. I don't even do that thing I used to do when I was younger where you count your body fat content because I'm just like, what's the point? It's depressing. You know, I used to measure it and all, oh, how am I eating and how am I working now? Now I, I've told you, I, I've got this new method. Basically, when I get out of the shower, I stand in front of a full-length mirror, I stamp my foot and I start, start a stopwatch. When the last bar, part of me quits jiggling, I stop the stopwatch. And I measure that over time. And I can tell you how well I'm doing. It's just you age and you feel like I'm, I, know, I listen, I've served this congregation a long time. And I know some of you all like, oh, pastor, I got this vitamin, this herb, this essential oil. It was prayed over by virgins in the moonlight. And if you use that, you're gonna, you're gonna feel younger every year. Uh, yeah, okay, maybe I get it. Some of that stuff may work for you. But the point is at some point, all that stuff fails, right? Your body is aging. And you can't reverse that, and you're going to die. But if the resurrection is true, it shows us that if we are in Christ, none of that is ultimately true. There's this great reversal ahead, and a day is coming when God is going to remove the curse of death entirely from our lives. He's going to undo every injustice. He's going to heal every hurt. On that day, he says, he's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to make all things new. To use the words of J.R.R. Tolkien, the writer of The Lord of the Rings, on that day, he's going to make every sad thing come untrue. One of my favorite sections of Scripture are those end chapters of Isaiah where God describes for Israel what that day is going to be like. I love, love these passages of Scripture. Listen to this. The wolf on that day, the wolf is going to lie down with the lamb. The cow will feed with the bear. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The mom's going to be looking out the window for her five-year-old son. He's like, oh, he's just with his snakes. They're just hanging out. They're playing. They're wrestling in the cobra's den. No problem at all. It's creation working in harmony the way that we've always longed it to work together. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. How about this one? Isaiah goes on to say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. On that day, I'll give a signal. I'll give a signal and they will carry your little sons back to you in their arms. They will bring your daughters on their shoulders. Then your heart will and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will become yours and the wealth of the nations is gonna come to you. All the beautiful things of the world are gonna be ours. There is no pleasure, no beauty that is gonna be withheld from us. And on that day, we'll be so happy that we tremble. Can you remember the last time you were so happy that you trembled? Honestly, I can't. I think it probably was when I was four or five years old. Every sad thing comes untrue, and here's where it gets even more amazing. All that death and sadness that we went through are going to become a part of our story, the story of our victory, so that our victory is going to seem sweeter and richer for having gone through all that. How do I know that? Because Paul says that in the resurrection, death will be swallowed up in victory. Then we'll just be expelled and it'll be swallowed up. When you swallow something, it becomes a part of you, right? When you swallow food, that food becomes a part of you. What Paul is saying is that the pain and the struggle of life become a part of our victory so that the final product is better for us having gone through it. One day we're gonna see that God used all those things in our lives to make us more like him and to increase our enjoyment of him. One of my favorite biographies is the story of, uh, of Joni Erickson Tata. It's been out for quite a while, but Joni was paralyzed um, as a teenager in a diving accident. Now, if you read the biography, she was brilliant. She was beautiful. She popular, athletic. She was a great artist. She had it all. She had it all. But she says, as a 17-year-old, I was wandering away from God, and God used that accident to bring me back to himself. She now has lived as a quadriplegic, no use of her arms or legs. She, when she writes or draws, it's out of a, a pencil that they put into her mouth. She's lived as a quadriplegic for more than 50 years. In her biography, she anticipates that moment of seeing Jesus in eternity. Let me just read it to you because I can't recreate her words. When I get to heaven, she says, I'm going to push my wheelchair to the throne of Jesus. Notice, I'll be walking. And I'm going to thank him for every character refining work he did in me and through me because of this wheelchair. And then I'm going to ask Jesus to send this wheelchair straight to hell because it was only needed because of the wreckage of sin. What a beautiful day that's going to be for all of us. My the question is, what's that wheelchair for you? What's that wheelchair for you that God's using right now, but is not part of his ultimate plan for you? And he's using it for good. Yes. But one day you're going to be able to put it away from you forever. Listen, over the past 12 months, many of us have wondered where life is headed. I can tell you where it's headed. It's headed to the grave. Vaccine or no vaccine, you're going to die eventually. But the point is your story doesn't have to end there. Because of the empty tomb, our road does not end at the grave. If anything, it begins at the grave for those who are in Christ. Let me very quickly tell you about one of the other ladies at the tomb that morning. Her name was also Mary. This was Mary, the mother of Jesus. There were actually three Marys at the tomb that day. There was Mary Magdalene. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other Mary. That's what, literally what Matthew calls her. How'd you like that? You got your name in the Bible, but you're the other Mary. All right, three Marys. You can see them all together in John 19, 25, if you're curious. But for Mary, the mother of Jesus, just think about it. This was an especially devastating day, right? Because the mother, a mother feels the pain of their child probably more acutely than the child itself feels it. To be a mother who is forced to watch your son executed unjustly, to watch him humiliated, mocked, misunderstood, and tortured, Mary had remained at the cross when everybody else left. Why? Because that's what mothers do. When everybody else had dispersed, when the crowds had gone home, Mary stayed there alone. I can tell you, as a pastor for two decades now, mothers are the ones who sit beside prison cells or in courtrooms when nobody else is there. Mothers are the ones who answer the phone in the middle of the night when you call. Moms are the ones who get up to pray in the middle of the night when nobody else is thinking about you. Imagine Mary's sadness in this moment, turning to joy, knowing that her son is not dead and gone forever. But her son has overcome and ushered her into an eternity where there will be no more pain and no more crying, where the sun never sets and nobody ever has to say goodbye. This seemed too good to be true. But this is what the resurrection promises for all of us whose families die in the Lord. For every mother in Christ who has had to say a tearful goodbye to their child. You see, that leads me to the fourth and final too good to be true thing about the resurrection. Number four, if it is true, if it's true, those who wait upon God will not be disappointed. You see, the resurrection shows you that in those moments where you feel abandoned, where you feel like God has forgotten you, like maybe he's not even real. And by the way, we've all been there. The resurrection shows you that he has not forgotten you. Here, here's a question. Why didn't God raise Jesus from the dead immediately? Well, why not do it like Friday night at midnight? Well, How about Saturday morning? Why not raise Himself? Why did he wait the three days until Sunday morning? Well, in part, it's because that time gap is a metaphor for what life often feels like now, right? Where's God Is God even real? What's he doing? I thought things were going well, and I thought he was going to do this, but then it died, and it feels like injustice is ruling, and it feels like life is out of control, and what's God doing? Are you up there? Have you forgotten me? The resurrection's answer is no. No. God keeps his promise to those who wait upon him. You might feel like you're living in a Friday. You might feel like you're living in the darkness of a Friday or the tedium and boredom and loneliness of a Saturday. But what the resurrection shows you is that that Sunday is coming. Right? He's the way maker, the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He's the light in the darkness. And that means even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. And in the Friday and Saturday of your life, I can promise you, God is at work and he has not forgotten you. The resurrection proves that. It's like I often tell you guys, at any given moment, God is up to at least 10,000 different good things in your life. And you are aware of only at most, maybe three of them. The resurrection assures you that he's going to accomplish all of them. Friend, if God did not abandon you when our sin had literally crucified his son, you can be sure that he's not going to abandon you now. He'll come through. He'll come through. Hang on. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. He's good to those who hope in his steadfast love. If you feel like you're in a season of darkness, you feel like you're waiting for God to answer a prayer, waiting for God to bring back a child, waiting on God to heal a hurt or bind up a wound, don't give up. God is up to something good. And soon you will see his deliverance. I love how David says it. In fact, it's almost a little irreverent. Psalm 27 13, David says, I am convinced I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let me translate that for you land of the living. David is basically saying, I'm tired of all these sanctimonious, pious people telling me in heaven everything's going to be awesome. I believe in heaven everything is going to be awesome. That's not the land of the living. The land of the living is down here on earth. And right now, while I know it's going to be awesome in heaven, i got people in my life who need help now. I've got some broken relationships. I've got some things in my own heart. I need God's goodness to break in on me. I need God's goodness to break in on her. I need God's goodness to come in and help me with this situation. And I'm convinced that it's not just in the sweet by and by that God is good. I'm convinced he's good now. And I'm asking God to let his goodness break into the land of the living so I can praise him for it. I need to see his goodness in the Friday and the Saturday, not just the ultimate Sunday. I'm telling you that that is what is offered to you right now. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. So again, four things about the resurrection, each almost too good to be true. Number one, he has redeemed us from our sins. Number two, the power of new life is here and ready for you. Number three, one day every sad thing's gonna come untrue. And number four, those who wait upon God will not be disappointed. Y'all, no wonder it seemed like nonsense. But that's what these women coming from the tomb are testifying to you today. Do you believe it? And some of you are like, well, JD, honestly, that does feel too good to be true. Aren't these just hopeful fairy tales come up for people who just can't cope with the harsh realities of life? Honestly, just to be transparent, I used to suspect that myself. And because I've been there, I doubt that there's any catchy one-liners that I could give you that would convince you on the spot. But could I just ask you to consider something? Isn't this what you've been searching for your entire life? Maybe the reason that you've been searching for it your whole life is because it's what you're created for. Maybe the reason that things like this seem too good to be true is because the God that created you is what is his his answer to all the things that are wrong. I love how Blaise Pascal said it. He said, in every human heart, there's a gigantic void. And we spend all of our life doing what? Trying to fix that void. And we turn to popularity and we turn to pleasures and we turn to family, but none of it works because that void is in the shape of God. Maybe it feels too good to be true because you've been looking for it in all the wrong places when it's found in the God of the resurrection. Do you believe it? Are you ready to receive it? How do you respond to the resurrection? Well, if you're a Christian, you just rejoice. You know, Easter is a yearly time where we just get to remind ourselves of that victory and that confidence and we're renewed to walk in joy. But see, if you're not a Christian, there's only one way to respond, and that is you become one today to receive what Christ has done for you. You see, as I've explained, Jesus has redeemed you from your sin. He's paid your penalty. But in that way, it's like a gift. It's like any other gift. You have to receive it. John 1 12 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, which includes forgiveness. The heart of Christianity is not a new approach to morality. It's not new insights into spirituality or resolves to do better or become more religion. The heart of Christianity is something that Jesus did for you that you could not do. So behold, he died for your sins to redeem you, to save you. I'll be honest with you. When I first got into ministry, I hated that term, get saved. I hated it because it sounded redneck and uneducated and sounded like a fundamentalist. I probably spent the first five years of ministry trying to come up with a different term. I failed. Well, what term were I? I got, you know, I got, I got restored. I got fixed. And like where any of those were going, I got saved. Why? Because I was drowning in the condemnation of my sin. There was no way I could get it off. And Jesus took it for me and he saved me from eternal condemnation. And I had death at work in me. And he did something to me I couldn't do for myself. And that is, he not only forgave my sins, he gave me new life. You need to get saved. And then, my second invitation is you need to be baptized. You see, baptism, as you've seen, is like a public profession. It is a public profession. We always say it's like the wedding ring. It's what declares to everybody that you're following Jesus by your own choice which is why you're supposed to do it as soon as you receive Jesus as your savior. And so there's some of you that are becoming Christians today and you need to show that by getting baptized. There's others of you that have been saved for a long time, but you've just never taken that first act of obedience and you need to get baptized, right? You're like, because this is your profession of faith. You're like, well, I didn't bring any clothes. Hey, listen, we've been doing this for a long time. We got them. We got modest shorts and shirts and we can, we can take care of this for you, Okay. We've got it, and we just want you to, um, we'll let you change, and then you can put your dry clothes back on, places for you to change. We can do it today. And you say, well, I don't know. It's really, is it that important? Yes. You're like, well, I don't feel like it it affects my ability to be a Christian. I'm just going to tell you right now on the record, I don't think it's a good idea for you to start your walk with Jesus, telling him which of his commands are important and which ones aren't. He said, this is what you do when you show everybody that that I am the Lord of your life. You say, well, I mean, J.D., I got baptized when I was a baby. My parents baptized me. Listen, I want to be very clear. We respect that. I I think that's awesome. But the question I always ask is, whose faith was on display in that baptism? It must be your parents, right? You were too little. You weren't thinking about anything. Your parents were exercising faith. And that's awesome. But did you know, listen to this. There are 27 baptisms in the book of Acts. 27. All 27 times. The person believed first on their own, and then they showed that by being baptized. So we're not saying that the you know that that, that what happened back then was, was bad. We're just saying that it's time for you to ratify what your parents did. You're like, well, I don't want to bring shame on my parents. I don't want to reject my upbringing. You're not. What was their hope when they baptized? Their hope when they baptized you was one day you would grow up and follow Jesus. You get the privilege this afternoon of calling your mom and dad and saying, hey. I got good news. Remember what you hoped for me like 30 years ago or 15 years ago? It happened. I'm following Jesus now, and I ratified what happened then. I ratified it on my own. So me'm like, "Ah, oh, I don't really want to become a Baptist. I understand that. I genuinely understand that. <laughs> See you're not being baptized in the name of a denomination. We're not going to baptize you in the name of a Baptist. We're going to baptize you in the name of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus ought to be baptized as a profession of their faith in Jesus. If you haven't, you need to do that today. When we come to moments like this. I sometimes think about my dad. He tells me a story that before I was born, he was newly married and he was in a service, something like this one. They gave an invitation for people to come and receive Christ. And my dad said, uh, stood and I was holding on to the Hugh in front of me, he said, I could see the whiteness on my knuckles, I was clinging so hard. He said, we must have sung 982 verses of Just As I Am. He said, and I got to where I knew, I knew this was a moment. He said, I stepped out in that aisle. And I sometimes think about that moment and how it changed my eternity. For some of you, this decision you're about to make is not just gonna be about you, it's gonna be about your children. It's going to be about their children. I'm telling you, don't resist the Holy Spirit. It is time for you to be serious about what Jesus is calling you to. I'm going to lead you in a prayer so that those of you who want to receive Christ can do it. And then I'm going to invite you to come forward. And we're going to start that conversation about baptism. And many of you get baptized today. Every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would. First of all, if you want to receive Jesus, you're not sure that you've received Jesus or Or you want to, you can use these words that I'm going to give you. You can use these very words, just make sure they come from your heart. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I receive you right now as my Savior. I surrender to you as my Lord. I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to follow you. Say it to him. I'm ready to receive you as Lord and follow you. Father, I pray for everybody that just pray with me. I know that this is a moment where a lot of people are gonna to come to faith and express that. So Give them courage, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: The resurrection covers everything in your broken life. It is more powerful than every weapon in Satan's arsenal. For some of you, Mary Magdalene's story really resonated You need deliverance that is available right now. If you made a decision today, or if we can pray for you, please reach out to us at jittygreer.com. One of our goals is to equip everyone who listens to Summit Life with resources to help them know the Bible better. So we've created a pack of 50 memory verse cards for you to carry or display throughout this next year, helping you to remember God's promises and memorize His Word. We'd love to get you a set of these cards today, and they come with our thanks when you donate to support this program. Summit Life is kept on the radio and online by listeners like you who give sacrificially to keep us on the air. When a college student tunes in to stay rooted in the gospel on a secular campus, or when someone hears the gospel for the very first time, their thanks belongs to you. Give today or commit to a regular monthly gift, and remember to ask for your set of the Rejoice Always Scripture Memory Cards. Today is the last day that you can request this resource, so be sure to give us a call at 866-335-5220. That's 866-335-5220. Or you can donate and request the set online at jdgreer.com. I'm Molly Vidovich, inviting you to listen again tomorrow as we begin a new teaching series. Pastor J.D. Greer will show us that the purpose of the Bible's teaching on emotions isn't to suppress them or manage them, but to express them honestly and then allow the gospel to reshape them. See you Tuesday on Summit Life. Today's program was produced and sponsored by J.D. Greer Ministries.